Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night Soccer Podcast. He is Chris Marlin. I am Kyle O'Gara. Spring football is in. It came. It went. Adios. See you next year. We're going to have actual football the next time that we are talking about live action. So that's good. I, Very I don't want that. I want seven on sevens. Oh, I, I want about coaches seven trolling each other about attendance at the seven on sevens. I want it all. All the way up until the season. Oh, attendance at the seven on sevens. That's good. Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure is illegal. So, like, somebody's going to get themselves in trouble. Coaches being at the seven on sevens. Yeah. Like, Dan Mullen's going to get, like, Florida on, like, some sort of minor probation. He's like, well, guess what, y'all? We had. I don't know. I don't know a number for Florida, but Tim Tebow was out here. I don't know. Should we just start over? 226 people at the Georgia 7-on-7 or something like that because second and 26. Too soon. It's messed up. Wow. That was Connor. Sorry. That was Connor that said that. Sorry. Georgia fans, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We got to get sponsors again. We can't keep doing this. That was that was rude. That was rude. I'm sorry. Um, so spring game takeaways from what we saw from Georgia. We're gonna get to those in a minute. We have post spring SEC quarterback rankings, which nobody had any opinions on those at all. I mean, it was pretty much Connor got accepted. roasted. Yeah, whatever. Uh, par for the course. We have also um, some draft over-unders that we're going to get to, some prop bets with Uncle Chris. We've got a great interview that re- we recorded with Bleacher Report's Matt Miller. That was a lot of fun. Lot of I think fun. We, he, he texted me after that, too, sick brag, and was saying how much of a blast that was. He's somebody that gets hounded this time of year, so we really yeah. appreciate his time to be able to devote to us and talk about some SEC draft prospects. And for what it's worth, we recorded that last week. So some of the things with like Montez Sweat, that's changed with his heart right. condition and stuff. But still a really, really good interview. A lot of fun with Matt. But before we talk about some draft stuff, let's get back to Georgia spring game, the last SEC spring game. There were a few takeaways, some overreactions. We don't necessarily have to do an overreaction, although the overreaction is obvious. Stetson Bennett the fourth is the number one quarterback on Georgia's roster. Did I do a good Marley voice? That I mean, good? that's pretty good. Stetson, Stetson Bennett the fourth is going to be, first off, definitely on the State Farm Agency. I feel like he could be a DUI lawyer and your backup quarterback. That's a complete package. What more could you, could you ask for, really? He's gonna, I mean, he sounds like how Andy from The Office dresses. Like I, I would not be surprised <laughs> if he like plays in a bow tie at some point. Um, he, I mean, he looked pretty good. How like real quick? How exciting and fun was this game? This was better than any other spring game in the SEC, in my opinion. Now there's the overreaction. No, actually, I think that's fair. I think that's fair because it was competitive. Our good friend Tom Hart was into it at the end, yeah, which was, was kind of fun. It. When they made the when Stetson had, we're on a first name basis. Uh, mm-hmm. When Stetson had the the long touchdown pass to Jeremiah Holloman at the end, it was kind of like Tom Hart got like excited about it, which is yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought it was it was pretty exciting for the most part. I mean, you only get to see. Uh, DeAndre Swift had like three carries, and yeah, there was some Jake Fromm I mean, overthrows. Why are you so negative about it? They had Kirby mic'd up the entire game. That was hilarious. Good point. Good point. Really enjoyed okay. that. And yes, yeah, Stetson, Stetson Bennett was fantastic. I mean, like, what bothered me was when I tried to turn it on, and it was on like the eighth alternate channel for ESPN, and I kept fighting softball everywhere. There was women's cornhole on, Connor. Women's cornhole. I lived next door to a professional cornhole player, actually, for like the first 20 years of my life. Fun fact. The way that you are. Um, sorry, just just had to throw that in there. But yeah, I mean, I think if you were a Georgia fan watching this game, there were certain things that you wanted to see. I think there are questions about the group of receivers. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. When you kind of 
take a step back and we, we've gotten into this mode with with Kirby in this era where they have these you know top two recruiting classes where we just expect guys just plug and play and maybe that'll happen it, yeah. it, maybe that'll happen in the fall it, it remains to be seen but watching that game kind of made you realize oh yeah no Michael Hardman no Terry Godwin no Riley really no Isaac Nada there's kind of a little bit of a of a different era, different group, and, and it was obvious. And I thought Holloman was good, but like other than that, he, I mean, he it, had a couple drops. He did have a couple drops. He did have a couple drops. And but, to be fair, the weather was pretty bad. But what was odd about that was, yeah, I understand they're replacing a lot of production receiver. However, the people they're bringing in, like you said, are seemingly big time recruits. Like should be, I don't want to say plug and play, but like they were for the most part ranked higher in like all the recruiting services than like their predecessors were. I was I really like the kid that was who's the kid that was six five from Michigan. Oh, there was uh oh why am I blank I'm blanking yeah, on his name right too. now. Oh, that's bothering me. That's gonna really bother me. Sorry. Once he becomes a staple in the fall, I'll be he's able to be good. His name. He's I'm gonna not be really good. Four. I agree. I agree. And he's a he's a freak athlete. And I hated the fact that Robertson didn't get to play again. Like I feel like we're never gonna be he he turns out he has an illness right before the spring game. Yeah. But yeah, I mean so from that perspective those things maybe they'll work themselves out. It does make you maybe question a tiny bit what Jake Fromm's upside could potentially be in this offense when you have those right. question marks because it's not a given. I mean, I love Jeremiah Hallman. I think he is the makings of a guy that can become a number one, but he still has not been in that role yet. And until you are at the top of the scouting report, at least from a receiver standpoint, it's tough to know how you're going to handle the opposing team's right. best corner, all that <laughs> stuff. Um, did you see the tweet that Cole Kubelik threw out of Cade Mays basically like taking a paint chip off that? I think it was a linebacker or something like that. It was devastating. Um, Cade Mays, I, sophomore, former five-star. He's yikes. angry. Oh. He, he is like really angry. Um, so that's that would be, I don't know if it's an overreaction. I really don't. I, I was going to say my biggest takeaway is that that offensive line might be the best in the country. It's going to be really good. I, w- I would have a lot of confidence in what that group can do with, with guys like Andrew Thomas back. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, you lose somebody like Gilliard and you can yeah. question kind of the direction because he was the leader of that group. But at the same time, I mean, they are still so loaded up front. It's, the kids that's they the position with two are just like absolute oh, elite prospects. And they're huge, huge it's pretty noticeable watching Georgia at the line of scrimmage compared to some of these other teams. With all due respect to the rest of the SEC, yeah. we've watched a lot of spring football in the last month, and I'd say that that is the big difference. If you're a Georgia fan, are you feeling like this is the group? I, I know that's so tough to evaluate in the spring. Well, Connor, I'm glad you asked that because growing up in the state, <laughs> every single group, every single year is the group. Um, no, but I mean, I, I really do. It's been It's been weird as like, Somebody that's like covering it, and I'm kind of excited to see it because, like, again, I've grown up in the state. They're always like right there on the cusp. It seems like, and part of me as a Bama fan is like, everyone that said they're going to turn the corner and they've, you know, gone toe to toe with Bama, like, well, they didn't win, but you can see it. You can just see it kind of slowly passing the torch. And I don't know if it's going to be that slow this year. Like Georgia is going to absolutely run over people with that offensive line, and the defensive line looked pretty good too, even though they're really young. They are very young on that side of the ball. That's a good point. Really, in the front, the front seven in general. I mean, they've yeah. lost so much, so many guys at linebacker in the last two years, and what what but they've had. But everyone they bring in, it's amazing. It it's is ridiculous. Um, Georgia apparently didn't troll Florida with the attendance, although they had. It was 
the amount of victories that they've had against Florida was like 36 or something. I, I don't know. I was searching for it. It was like 36,470 or something like that. And I was like, there's no, like this is SEC, man. Left. It's SEC down here. We don't like puzzles and riddles and crap like that. Just tell me how many people came out there. I spent 20 minutes looking for whatever it was. I did. I went down that rabbit hole. I didn't come out alive or successful. I just came out with a face full of dirt and embarrassment. I posted uh, on SCS that the total attendance was the number of five stars he planned on signing. And oh, then good. had to go back and clarify the, that Kirby did not say that. Yes. Just to be on the safe side. You said that. Yes, yeah. I said that. Lesson learned. Jake Fromm is... I, I, I've been talking... I feel like I've been talking a lot about Jake Fromm the last two weeks. And have been much. asked... Yeah, a little, a little bit too much, maybe. But we're going to talk about him some more. Because the post-spring SEC quarterback rankings are out. And there are a lot of opinions. My, mine, mine, the, <clears throat> the. Um, and I preface this by saying these are guys who, so I did some projecting here of who I think is going to be the opening day starter. And I give those, those guys are the ones that I included. So I didn't do something like where I put Bo Nix on the list or something like that because I don't think he's necessarily going to be the opening day starter. I don't even think Nick Starkle is going to be the opening day starter based on the fact that he's not going to be arriving on campus until late and that Ben Hicks is going to be the guy to start the season just because he knows the system. Well, so, and describe like what the basis for the rankings were. It's like it's not just stats and, and it's all not just stuff. stats, right? I'm glad you bring that up because a lot of people will just throw some random stat at me and say this is why quarterback X is better than quarterback Y. And my that. point is these are the guys that I would have the most confidence just turning the ball over to, saying go lead my team to a victory tomorrow. So right. I realized that that's going to favor guys who maybe didn't put up as big a numbers. A guy like Joe or Burrow. any numbers. <laughs> Numbers numbers are overrated, man. Let me tell I you. I like that. That's that's good. Um, but I, I think there are a lot of people that, you know, and as, as I say with these quarterback rankings that I do every single week throughout the season, it, it isn't just a numbers game. Yes, numbers are part of the equation, and there are certain things that I look at more than others, but it doesn't just come down to that. It's who do I have the confidence to say, go win me a game, here's the ball. And a lot of guys are in different situations. I realize this is extremely subjective, and that's why there was so much disagreement. Yeah. So, and what I will say this because I, I I'm gonna I've been really excited to argue this with you. I was a little bit jealous that you went on a different show this morning and they already brought it up. Um, a couple actually, sick brag. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean that makes me feel even worse about it, but that's fine. It's supposed to be my partner here. Um, what I will say is this: I'm proud of you for the 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 list you made and the rankings because I don't feel like you made this like list to get attention to like like take a hot take like to just throw something out there like a Skip Bayless type thing, just say anything that will end up getting, you know, traction. That also scares me that you believe uh, the eighth <laughs> best quarterback on this list. But, um, no, I mean, like, that was one thing that frustrated me seeing the response from it was, you know, one, if you want just a cookie-cutter list of what every single other site is putting on there, that's not really what we do. So, like, I was – I enjoyed the fact that you went out of your way to, um, I don't know uh, – be ridiculous or say things that were going to come back to haunt you. I don't know. Let's get to the list. Let's go to the list. So number one, Tua. Number two, Jake Fromm. Number three, Kellen Mond. Number four, Joe Burrow. Number five, Kelly Bryant. Number six, Felipe Franks. Number seven, got a lot of flack for this, your boy, Jared Garantano. That's not what you got a lot of flack for. But Number eight, I got a lot of flack for this as well, Malik Willis, Auburn. Number nine, Jake Bentley. Actually got a text from somebody who knows South Carolina very, very Just, well and mm-hmm. said that was that was actually on the money, so a little pet on the back there. 
Number 10, Keaton Thompson. Number 11, our friend, neighbor Terry Wilson. Number no, 12. Don't say that. Don't say our friend. I, he, he is. He's still our friend. I spelled I've, his name wrong in here, too. I did not. I'm pretty sure it's like an I. No, it's not. With like a Nike check. Yes, I'm pretty sure. That's a lie. That's how I spell it. No. Number 12, Mackerel. Number 13, Ben Hicks. Number 14, Riley Neal, the transfer from Ball State. So, so where do you want to start? Let's let's not start at the place that you are ready to tee off at. I'll, I'll, I'll build you up to that. I promise we'll get to we'll get to Malik Wilson number eight. I promise we'll get there. I think there there are some tiers in this in in this list, and I broke right. it down looking at tier one is obvious. It's Tua. It's from they are in a tier by themselves in the SEC. The the gap between two and three is is significant in my opinion. Yeah. The the race for number three, as we have talked about. I gave Kellen Mond the nod in that spot. I can be potentially talked into some other guys in that spot. It's very subjective. I think you can go in a lot of different directions, but th- spots three through seven, where I have Mond, Burrow, Bryant, Franks, Garantano, I think is is pretty interchangeable depending on what you're looking at. I'm fine with I'm fine with Mond. I put Garantano on my list because I feel like you were going to yell at me if I didn't. This so is true. I would have. I have Garantano on there, um, and I have Mond for Joe Burrow. At, do you want to keep going before we start yelling? Or so I had I had that that group in there, and I think that the race uh, for number three is is super interesting. I give the nod to somebody like Mond, who took a big step up last year, and he doesn't have limitations. That's what I like about him. If right. I can turn the ball to a guy and say, just as Jimbo Fisher gave him the starting nod ahead of Nick Starkle, I think he gave it to him because he doesn't have those limitations. He can make all the throws. He can beat you with his legs. He can do a variety of things for you on the football field. The the other spots in this in this list, I got a lot of flack on on some of those like you know on Garantano only at seven. I got a lot of flack for Felipe Franks only at six. What a crazy thing to say yeah, at this time real. last year. We would have never said that, but here we are. Um, and Kelly Bryant at five. That is a little bit of projecting, and that's that's what some of this is that is projecting fine. projecting how they're going to do in the office. All right, so let's let's then let's get to number eight. Let's get to number eight. No, with let's get, let's go to number four. Okay. Why do you have Joe Burrow as the number four quarterback in this conference? I have Joe Burrow as the number four quarterback in this conference because I think he was limited in what he was able to do last year. And I think that when he finally got settled into that offense after showing up late on campus and finally got to do the things that Steve Ensminger wanted him to do, which was rolling him out, using him in the RPO, using him in the run game, I think that we saw the best of Joe Burrow down the stretch for a reason. And I do think that with Joe Brady on board, the new Saints passing coordinator who, who LSU just hired, I think that the chances of Joe Burrow exceeding what he did last year in a new offense are very, very good. And I'd feel good about giving him the ball. And again, this isn't just entirely based on stats. This is, I want a guy who's going to go out and win me games. I brought up, and if you want to bring up the stat before about Joe Burrow, he's the first LSU quarterback since Jamarcus Russell to finish the season with 3,000 yards from scrimmage. I understand that Zach Mettenberger had over three. Zach Mettenberger had over 3,000 yards from scrimmage, but if you take in rushing rushing numbers, he was actually less than that um, when when you factor in the passing and rushing. Whatever. I am very high on Joe Burrow. If there is a Joe Burrow bandwagon, I, I'm buying. I, I'm I'm leading leading the charge on it. I'm buying shares in him. I believe that he has the capability of taking another step up this year, and that's why I have him so high. So I, I like the fact that he's a gamer. I, I do. If it's purely from a standpoint of like, you know, can this guy go out there and win you a ball game? Sure. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with that. However, when you start, I mean, it's hard not to look at his stats and argue that he should not be, I wouldn't even say in the top half 
of the SEC. And and I get the fact that like you really can make all these guys are so different, especially in the offense they're in, their skill set. You can make you could skew and, and kind of just, you know, position your your narrative or argument in any way you want with like a certain stat, right? Mm-hmm. So what I decided to do was just that. I Burrow was I forgot how bad he was and how average he was for most of the year. Like he was calm, he was collected. I think he definitely has command of that like that locker room, that huddle, definitely. But it's hard to get over the fact that like he didn't have a touchdown against a ranked team until November. That's crazy to me. I mean, he, he was 12th in the in the conference in uh, in quarterback rating. He was 11th in completion percentage. It didn't really get much better. Like four games, um, he was held under a hundred quarterback rating. A hundred. That's bad. It's real bad. But I think he came on strong late, which is why I feel like you put him so high on this list. Mm-hmm. So he had seven of his 16 touchdowns in the last two games. But other than the, the game against A&M, which, I mean, that was a hell of a game. He also had 29 rushes for 100 yards, which is, I still can't figure that out. But the fact that he had three touchdowns against that team being ranked, that was the only other team that he had a, a touchdown against that was ranked besides, I believe it was at Auburn. Okay, so what you just said right there, you can't figure out the 29 rushes for 100 yards, whatever. That's what I like about him. It's a seven-overtime game. No, 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 no. Right, right, right. My point is that when everybody, he looks around and sees everybody on his team is gassed. That team has nothing left. By the way, the new overtime rules changed so they can no longer have these seven overtime games uh, or in the same fashion. After five overtimes now, the NCAA voted on that today um, basically because of this game. After the fifth overtime, they're just going to exchange two-point conversions. That's different. That's new. Breaking news. Okay. That happened today. Um, I like that he looked around and said, I need to put this team on my back. Yeah. I need to run for first downs. I need to do whatever I can to win this all-important game. This this game, this moment right now is so important, and I recognize that I, I'm going to try and will this team to victory. I want a guy that's going to stand back there and do that and say, I don't care how badly I get hit on these runs. Right. I don't care how many big-time throws I have to make. I don't care how many times my defense lets me down. I'm going to do whatever it can I can to lead this team to victory. And I think that Joe Burrow showing that side, that factored into my ranking. I'll be no, honest. No, it's I, not I just writing up numbers. I, I just worry that it might have been because of like the what have you done for me lately thing because he did on the stage against A&M. And, and I do think that he was the, the factor that, like, that turned that whole game around against UCF. When he took that hit and got up and like kept going, I mean, you look at his stats. He had what seven touchdowns, one pick in the last two games. That's outstanding. That's great. What worries me, and, and to be fair on like to his his point, like he did play eight defenses ranked in the top fifty. Eight. Yeah. In his first year, um, I just worry about his. Like, he's not great in the red zone with like only five touchdowns, three picks. I don't know because I worry I, that he doesn't do enough stuff early on, like where he puts you in these bad positions. And I cannot get over the Florida loss. I still come back to the belief that they were decimated the tackle positions last year. They had no backup quarterback situation because they lost two quarterbacks in the preseason, and then they didn't sign a quarterback in that class. And then Miles Brennan, as we found out, was injured. Steve Ensminger could not do the things, all the things that he wanted to with Joe Burrow in that offense. And especially when you're you're weak at the tackle positions and you're You're thin at depth at quarterback, like, what do you do? I think it's a lot more difficult than what people gave him credit for. And so that I realized... That part of, like I said, part of this is projecting. And that's why I think that he is going to take a step up. Yeah. I think LSU has a top 20 scoring offense nationally this really? year. I know that's crazy to say. That's but crazy, I think that, Cutter. I, I think that given the fact that he's got, I believe, five of his six top targets coming back this year as well, yeah. 
I think that's going to benefit him a lot. I think the addition of Joe Brady is going to be big with the RPOs. And I just think that this is a team that is ready to have a, maybe a little bit of a different identity than, than it had last year. I, I agree with everything you just said. And they do return 82% of their offensive production. It just, and hopefully the schedule will be a little bit easier this year. It just worries me that, like, you know, he was he was kind of non-existent sometimes in those big games. Let's go to Malik Wills at number eight. Jesus. That was the one that got you all fired up. So let me let me justify this a little bit a little bit first. Now I promise I'll give you the, the form to tee off. Because I think that he is going to be the the day one starter with Gus Malzahn calling place. I know, weird sentence, crazy sentence. I think he's going to be put in really good positions to succeed. I think that we are going to see the Nick Marshall like production from Watch him at quarterback. Mouth. Where, yes, he has those moments where he makes a throw that you're just like, oh my gosh, like, please just get somebody, just get like a true natural pocket passer back there and let's see, let's see what, what we can do when we have that if you're an Auburn fan. But I think that he, he's going to be able to make enough plays. And I do think that the arm is there. I think that he's going to have the ability to make some of these big downfield throws with a guy like Anthony Schwartz who can turn you know a little five-yard gain into a 65-yard touchdown yeah. with his speed. I think that what he's going to be able to do is more the identity of Gus Malzahn. We talked about this with Josh Floyd last week. And Josh Floyd you know, he basically said, like, you don't need a runner. But after seeing what they did with Jared Stidham, doesn't it just make you think like, Malik Willis is more of a guy that's meant to play quarterback with all the things Gus Malzahn wants to do with misdirection and with all these things that he wants to be able to do with his backfield. It just seems like Malik Willis has the ability to not only be a a halfway decent passer, but be a very prolific running quarterback in this offense. I agree with that. And and whoever plays quarterback for Auburn is going to have a huge benefit of the fact that they return all five offensive linemen, all five, and they're all five seniors. So that is a huge help. So that probably, mm-hmm. I would assume, factors into Gus's decision, like where he feels like he probably gets a little bit more leeway in terms of like they're going to be protected. That being said, I was so blown away by this pick because I, I'm pretty sure he's going to be the third string quarterback. And you yourself have been all over Gatewood. All I've, been, over I've, Gatewood. I've been so much higher on Gatewood, I, yeah. I just, which I don't understand because then you put out these rankings and he's nowhere to be found. And, and like, and I get the fact that well, because I'm only putting one starter for each team. That's why. Right, I know, but if there's any position or any quarterback battle in the conference that's, like, the most unsettled, it's Auburn's. Oh, I agree. I agree 100%. And I'm not saying definitively that, like, that Willis is is 100% going to be the starter. I wrote right after the spring game. (laughs) Because I think if he is the starter, I think that's what position he will be in. And I think if Gatewood is in that position, I think he would probably be around there as well. I might be a, a touch lower on Gatewood, maybe maybe something more like number 10 if Gatewood is the opening day starter. Right. I've been so much higher on Joey Gatewood. I wrote an entire column basically saying how that kid deserves a world of credit for the job that he did to improve in one year from the spring game where he looked terrible last year. And I've already I've already spouted off on how, yes, while I do believe that Bo Nix is the quarterback of the future, I don't think that Gus wants to go with him from the jump. Therefore, I think Malik Willis is the guy that's most capable of running this offense. And I think if we're, as he starts out in this system, to have the knowledge of the system to execute everything Gus Malzahn wants to do with it, which, as we know, is not all a ton of downfield passing and it is a lot more misdirection, I think he has the ability to fill that role. And I'm, I didn't put him in the top half of the SEC quarterbacks. For you, put him, you put him ahead. Put him of, in the middle. That, but still, like if he could possibly be third string. That's It's like a... Very big swing for the fences on this one. 
I'm um, high in the Auburn, I'm very high in the Auburn quarterback room. I'll say that, and, and that's that that factors in a part of this. If you would have put just Auburn Auburn quarterback, I'd been like, I had, yeah, I had to totally pick get. one. I had to pick one. I, I think can't you just put the wrong Auburn one. quarterback. I, and I get um, what you're saying. I think he is the most athletic. I think he does like provide a lot of the same exact type of athleticism and problems for defenses that Nick Marshall did. Like we talked about earlier, same number. He looks exactly like him. The throw, you know, to the end zone in the uh, spring game, and all the quarterbacks look good in the spring game. I just don't think. Out of the three quarterbacks you have, it's nice to have somebody that is the most athletic, but it's also some, it's nice to have someone that's pretty pretty athletic, maybe not as as athletic as him, but also throws the ball a lot better, like a lot better, and can do all those things as an actual quarterback. And when you already have the the five returning offensive linemen that are five seniors protecting you, that's why Bo Nix is going to be your starter. I'll have post-fall camp quarterback ranked as well. If Malik Willis is a starter for Auburn on day one, I I will do something. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We're gonna figure that out. We're gonna circle back to that. We will we will definitely settle some sort of we'll have some sort of wager on that. It, and it's got to be Nick's just Nick's versus Willis. And I, don't get me wrong. No, I'm no, no. You're Gatewood. the one that put Willis at eight, which is just no, 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 no. Right. Exactly. I'll take the Willis side of it. But I'm saying Gatewood is left out. Your no. side is Nick's. No, that's not fair. I didn't put him in the ranking. You had, but you said Nick's was going to be the starting quarterback. What if we were trying to make hot takes and overreactions before spring football? You made your actual rankings this. Move on to the next one. I, I was saying that Willis is. Will, I'll stand by whatever bet we make. Willis will be I my get guy. Gatewood, and, and I guy. get and I get Nick's. That's greedy of you. Um, all right, next guy on this list that I think people had some questions about: Jake Bentley at nine. What does it say about Jake Bentley? Some people asked that Jake Bentley is going to be entering. His fourth year starting, he's going to be missing his fourth straight high school prom. And he is only a number nine on this list. That's yeah. not good. That that has regression written all over it. And I was surprised to see, because I had a lot of South Carolina people reach out and say, look, like, this actually doesn't seem that far off at all. And maybe you can make the case that Bentley's like six or seven or something. But even if he is, like, for a dude that's as experienced as he is, that's not good. No, I agree with that. I, I was when this first came out again. I was absolutely shocked at how bold of a move it was to put the returning three-year starter right behind Malik Willis, and I was like, "Oh my God, Connor wants to watch the world burn." I think we've happening. seen the highest Bentley can go. I really, I, I'm out on him in terms yeah. of a developmental standpoint, I mean, and that's why regressed. I had him lower. He's, I mean, you're right. He's regressed each year. Like if you look at his numbers from freshman year to senior, to to through junior year, his completion percentage has gone down every single year. And his touchdowns and, and stuff like that have gone up, obviously, when he's like been more involved in the offense and been more trusted. But like his freshman year, he had nine touchdowns, four interceptions passing. The following year, he had 24 total touchdowns, 12 interceptions. This year, he had, I think it was 29 total touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He's still, I mean, like the numbers are getting bigger, but it's still like two steps forward, one step back, which is the most perfect way to describe his entire career at USC. Bentley is not a guy that you can just look at with raw numbers and say, this is what you're getting at quarterback. Right. He's just not. And if somebody wants to sell, tell me that Jake Bentley is a better quarterback than Joe Burrow because Bentley has more touchdown passes, I'll laugh him out of the room gladly. Anybody that watches Jake Bentley can see the reads are still not there. That is the most frustrating thing about watching him play quarterback is that reads that he should that he should be making as somebody who is this experienced still do not look natural. It does not look like the game has slowed down enough for him. And to me, yeah, he's not one of the better SEC quarterbacks at this stage, and that's a very tough pill to swallow. And we've talked a lot about Ryan Halinski and how the excitement 
it, the excitement is going to be there, especially if Bentley gets off to a little bit of a rough start. Yeah. But like, I, I, I was, I was, I was like, I, I thought that said a lot that South Carolina fans didn't reach out and say, "Yo, Bentley should be a top three, top four quarterback." Whereas if I had done these this list last year, they they absolutely would have been saying he deserves to be right. top three, top four spot. People have cooled off on Jake Bentley. Well, it's because it's worrisome too. You think that like, all right, you know, he's in a, another year in this offensive system under Brian McClendon, you, you wonder how he's going to progress through that, but he has less talent around him. Like, I mean, exactly. So, you know, and like we talked about that like a couple weeks ago, and I do think they will be, I mean, he did suffer, I think he had like 20% of his incompletions last year were because of drops, which is the third highest in the conference. But still, he, I mean, he threw an interception in, I believe it was uh, in 11 of his, no, I'm sorry, nine of his 12 games. It's too many. It's, it's way just too many. many. Way too many. So, I mean, yeah, I just, I, I didn't disagree with this. I was just shocked that you put the three-year starter right behind the guy that might be third string. Yeah, and so Keaton Thompson at 10, I do think that there is potential there, and you know that I'm high on the Joe Moorhead offense. Slap in the face. But I, I think it's going to take a little bit of time with him, especially as it, as it relates to his accuracy. I think Kylan Hill is going to be the focal point of that yeah. offense. Terry Wilson at number 11. I had people that said I was way too low, people tweeting at Terry Wilson saying, man, this guy's a hater of yours, blah, blah, blah. You know what? I like Terry Wilson from a skill set standpoint. I think the tools are there. My problem with Terry Wilson is I think it's mental. I think at this point in his career, he needs to take the step up to realize like, oh, look, I am the guy. I need to be able to make some of those downfield throws. And I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but with him, you can't be a guy that is considered a, a dual threat quarterback if you're not going to actually be a, a threat in the running game. I mean, two games, two of his yeah. last eight games, he had more than 30 rushing yards. That's not good enough. You know that the guy didn't have multiple touchdowns against an SEC team? Didn't have multiple touchdowns. Man, that's I was not going, good. It's, I, I felt bad when I saw this at 11, and I still think that's way too low. But, I mean, because there are parts of his game that, especially like mid-October on, he was he was very good. Um, a lot better, I would say. Not maybe not very good, but a lot better than we ever gave him credit for. And when you talk about somebody like that led the SEC in completion percentage in conference games, higher than Tua, um, you know, I I thought we we probably didn't give him enough credit. But then you also look at like, you're right, man. It's it's like a three or four hole hitter, like you know, squaring up to bunt. He he does not utilize his whole skill set, and it's, it's, great it's like he's a little bit like scared on it, and and it worries me. Like I love the fact that he's gonna have Lynn. Bowden um, this year, but you wonder how it's going to look because that defense is not going to be as strong as it was last year. So you're not going to be able to depend on that. And when he would disappear in games, I mean, like, let's not forget about the game against Vanderbilt because when I was looking at the stats, it was like, you know, outside of that Vanderbilt game, he was in, he was really good, especially percentage-wise. I think he was like 71% on, uh, like, completion percentage from October on. Vandy, he was 3 of 9 for 18 total yards. Not going to cut it. And that's one thing if you're rushing for a lot of yards and, and touchdowns, like you said, but he's not. No, and, and part of the problem, yes, he had that Mizzou game where that that last drive was phenomenal. And that's that's what I like to see. And I gave Joe Burrow credit for that, of, of having that moment of looking around and realize, oh, this is on me. I need to get the job done. 
Yeah. But I still need to see it more from a cons- on a consistent basis. You need to see more of the plays like he made at the end of the Florida game where you're just like, oh, man, this dude has it. And he is going to be I, – I, I think all of the, the capabilities are there for him to be a top six, top seven quarterback in this conference. But if I'm sitting here today turning the ball over to someone – I want somebody that that realizes, like, look, I, I'm the man. I'm the guy. I can take this offense and I can lead it. And yeah. I question that with Terry Wilson at this point. But it is interesting. Gunnar Hoke, as we found out today, entered the transfer portal. Our guy, Mark Stoops, put your money in this bank. Put your money in this said, bank. Came out and said that Gunnar Hoke is somebody he would welcome back with open arms. But that's just one more sign that, look, Terry Wilson needs to be the guy. And especially without Benny Snell. He needs to take a step up for this Kentucky team not to fall off, and that's what all the attention is going to be on in Lexington. How do you not start a quarterback named Gunnar Hoke? It's a great question. I love Terry Wilson. I'm just saying, like, just name alone. Are we going to talk about Garantano and Franks or not? That, what do you want to say about Garantano? I mean, I, I don't understand why you have him seventh. I, just I have him. Those are two big, two big teams, two big names. I just want you to tell the audience why you are the way that you are. So. <laughs> I give Garantano a little bit of a of a break from the standpoint of having to deal with new coordinators and new offenses every single year. And in hindsight, did Tyson Helton limit some of his abilities? Probably. Could Garantano make some of those downfield throws? Probably. Is he going to be able to do that with Jim Chaney? Let's see. I think he has the ability to do that. But as of right now, that's something that we don't necessarily know. I'm not high on Garantano just as high as you are just because I think the consistency still isn't where it needs to be necessarily. I still think that he holds on to the ball too long, and yeah, the offensive line isn't good. I understand that. He still needs to be able to get the, rid of the ball quicker so that he can stay on the field. That dude is tough as nails, don't get me wrong, but you still should not be taking that many sacks. So to me, that's what I need to see from him for him to be able to move up into one of these top three, top four spots that you have, Matt. I, I just, you're wrong. I'll just say that. I don't know. If, I mean, three is probably too high, admittedly. Three is probably too high for him, but... And this is purely based on proje- projection because, I mean, he had 23, he, he got sacked 23 times last year, which I think was like the sixth most in the conference, something like that. It was actually not as bad as I thought. And you're right, he's tough as nails, and I think that everything will get better because, I mean, Tennessee, I think, um, they returned 91% of their offensive production, which is the second most, most in the country. Second most. Second. Yeah. Um, LSU, I think, is like 12th, and Florida's like 27. Mm-hmm. But what when you look at his numbers versus like a guy like Franks, and you look just at the numbers, and it's like, I mean, Franks is like, you know, 31 total touchdowns, six interceptions, all that. And, and Garantano has, what, like 12 touchdowns, three interceptions, like, on the year. Not a great season by, you know, a lot of means. But, I mean, I feel like Franks' numbers, and I'm not trying to discredit him having a great year and, and putting up great numbers, it's a lot like a, like Dan Ugla. You know what I mean? Like, he hit, like, 230, but he dropped, like, 25 home runs. I, I'm not as impressed with Felipe because... I think in games like where he had way more help around him, way more help than Garantano had. And you saw Garantano who was able to, you know, like his QB rating, like I think Frank's QB rating is the lowest out of all the returning quarterbacks in the SEC. Garantano, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, from a number standpoint, again, it's not great. It's not great. But you look at what he was able to do with that kind of team around him and be the guy and go on the road against Auburn and get that win and, and come home and beat a Kentucky team. I know Kentucky was kind of reeling. When you look at Franks' numbers, I mean, in the SEC, Franks didn't, he didn't complete over 50% of his passes in half the conference games. I agree. I, yeah, I, all, the, all the concerns about Felipe are, are there. You, you're right. No, there's no doubt about it. 
Garantano hasn't had that moment necessarily. And I, I don't get me wrong, he was brilliant against Auburn. That that game was fantastic. What he did at Jordan Hare like that, he he that was peak Garantano. That's the best we have seen from him. If and we no see one more saw of that, <laughs> I saw it. I wrote I wrote a lot about that game. Um, Felipe had that moment against Michigan as well, where it looks like Felipe realized, okay, this Michigan defense in the middle of it is awful. And I can expose this weakness. I can just run up the gut. I can do all these shotgun draws and just go straight at this defense that doesn't have Devin Bush, a guy that we expect to be picked in the first round of the NFL draft. Mm -hmm. And I like it when a quarterback can recognize that. It's not just, you know, because we said throughout the year, you know, Mullen is scheming these guys wide open. And I still think that there's a lot of that to Felipe's game, and that helps him a lot. And he's going to get the benefit of the doubt in that regard. And that's why his numbers are so good, especially in the red zone. But at the same time, I like it when Felipe is able to actually like look at a defense and be like, oh, this is your weakness? I can expose this. And there are not everybody in the SEC is able to do that and really capitalize on that, especially on a big stage like that where it's his you know, first New Year's Six game and all that stuff. Yeah. I, liked, I liked seeing that down the stretch, and that showed a nice maturation arc. Now, I still have a lot of questions about Felipe mentally and whether or not he is going to be the guy, you know, to be this two-year starter that that is going to be able to get through all the peaks and valleys that come with being a starting quarterback at a big-time program. With expectations. He answered a lot of those questions. Yes, and now he's got more expectations than ever, don't get me wrong. But as of right now, he can do a little bit more than Garantano from that perspective. Let's not forget that Felipe, with his legs, is not bad. And I know that Garantano can do some things too, but we need to see, we would need to see that in Cheney's offense. I don't think we're going to necessarily be able to see that. I think if teams are game planning to stop Franks, they actually have to account for his legs. No, it's I agree so with that. weird to say. But also the fact that like he's not going to beat you with his arm for the most part. And and again, like, you know, you break down like I think he, he only had what was it? His his uh in the SEC at least, like for the like quarterbacks in the conference last year, his QB rating again was the absolute lowest. I think he only had six touchdowns and four interceptions against FBS teams with winning records. That's crazy to have only six touchdowns. He only had 10 in the conference when you put up 31 total on the year. So I feel like sure. he was able to pad his stats a lot in, in some non-con games and, and things like that. And I'm, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him because he definitely exceeded my expectations last year. But when you're talking about having the game on the line in the fourth quarter and you have a guy like Garantano who's like 68% completion percentage on third down and I have to have a guy go win me a game, I'm not trusting whatever's going on in Felipe Frank's head. You have a guy that you're, you're like sitting there on like the 45 yard line. You need a hail mary to be to, to win a game, and oh you know God, you got to give good, the ball. Very good point. No, yeah, sorry, I had to throw that in there. I, I was at that, that game and left early, man. That's probably why yeah, I never wore, gave him any credit. You wore George that day, didn't you? I did. Of course you did. Let's keep it on the quarterbacks, but let's transition a little bit to quarterbacks in the draft. SEC quarterbacks, Malik specifically. Malik Willis, first overall pick in the 2020 draft. Um, so we expect Drew Locke to be a first-round quarterback. At least I do. Do you? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, okay. it's, it's I would be shocked if he didn't. Okay. So I've talked about this a little bit in the past, but from 2012 to 2018, the only first-round quarterback from the SEC was Johnny Manziel in 2014. So if Drew Locke becomes a first-round quarterback, he'll be the SEC's first since 2014. That's five years. In the last seven drafts, it's been it's been pretty rough. It's been yeah. pretty rough. I, I was curious about this because I, looking back at, at some of these drafts, the 2014 draft, the SEC had four quarterbacks picked. That's the most that the SEC, most quarterbacks that the SEC has had drafted in the modern draft era since 1994 when they went to seven rounds, all that. 
Johnny Manziel, AJ McCarron, Aaron Murray, Zach Mettenberger. All M's. All M's. Yeah, I did notice that today too. That's interesting. I wonder why. Um, but from so from a draft standpoint, that is kind of the standard that this this group is trying to to get past. I'm wondering if this group can actually have a better draft and and set an SEC record with having five quarterbacks taken. Now, no. we, ex- we we know Drew Locke is coming off the board. Jared Stidham is, is coming off the board probably day two, um, but y- I guess you never know necessarily with that. We believe Kyle Shermer is coming off the board. The question really comes in with the other two, our guy, JT, Jordan Ta'amu, and Nick Fitzgerald. If those two guys get drafted, record set. And it you can make the case that, you know, with Locke going off the board in the first round, that this would be the best draft ever for SEC quarterbacks, which I don't think that that like narrative is really out there, but it, it it actually probably would be from that standpoint. It doesn't have the names, obviously, that that 2014 group did, and that's why it's not viewed in that same regard. But I think that's at least interesting, and I think that says something about the state of the position in the SEC. If I'll tell you what, if this group, I hate to say it because I want everyone to be successful, but if this group is the one to break that record... I'm going to be pretty disappointed because if you have to look at it and say that Drew Locke, Jared Siddham, Kyle Shermer, Jordan Ta'omu, and Nikki Fitz broke Johnny Manziel, a Heisman winner, McCarron, who won three national championships, Murray's the all-time SEC leader in passing yards, and then everyone's favorite, Zach Bettenberger, walking around on stilts nonstop with a just cannon for right arm. I, I don't think this will happen. I, I would be shocked if they had even four players drafted or four quarterbacks drafted. Um... If someone takes the back end of those two with Jordan Tamu and Nick Fitzgerald, to be honest, I didn't realize that um, Tamu was, was uh, frowned upon that much until we talked to Matt Miller. But I would be absolutely shocked if Nick Fitzgerald was drafted as a quarterback or or at all. It's out there, though. It's at least out there. Yeah. So SEC fans going into this can know that that is actually on the table. And the SEC hasn't even had three quarterbacks in a given draft since that 2014 group. Had one last year with Danny Etling, as we remember, you know, the mobile Danny Etling. Uh, Two in 2017, two in 2016, zero in 2015, and then the four in in 2014. And it's it's weird, though, to think the SEC has averaged, I think, like 1.3 quarterbacks per draft in the last seven years. It's good. That's basically just Ryan Malik because he's so tall. I mean, I think, I mean, first off, can you imagine if Nick Fitzgerald does get drafted and has to prove himself in minicamp? Imagine how hard he's going to throw the ball. Oh, he's going to sail it. It's going to be ridiculous. Now, so when you brought this up the other day, I was embarrassed for the SEC at first because that does seem like a pretty bad drought to not have any quarterbacks win the first round. However, I didn't realize, and I'm not trying to pick on the Big Ten and, and or like on you. Oh, this. you're not breaking news by what you're about to say. I had no you're idea. Not. They haven't had a first round quarterback draft, a quarterback draft in the first round since '95 with Kerry Collins. Collins. That was a hell of a team. That's Drew crazy. Brees, Drew Brees was one pick away from being drafted in the first round. That guy Tom Brady worked out all right, and Russell Wilson's pretty good too. But we don't need. You're to get the one that brought that. the stat, Connor. First I've round. Actually writ- I've written about the '95 drought every single year, and Dwayne Haskins is going to break it this year, so that'll at is least he put that. Do you think? To- well, we'll talk about it in a second. Right. Locke versus right. him. I think it'll be very interesting to see who goes first. Could be, could be. So I, I throw that out there, and then also next year could get interesting because we expect to and from to be at the top of draft boards, at least to start off the year. When these mock drafts come out, and we talked about this a little bit with Matt Miller too, um, when these, these mock drafts start coming out, two is going to be on there, Jake Fromm's going to be on there, and the guy that we just talked about, Felipe Franks, is going to be on there because they love them, some big-arm quarterbacks who are like 6'6", and can just throw through a brick wall. 
That's that's what we know. That's why oh, Nick Fitzgerald was first round mock drafts, certain mock drafts at this time last year. Um, so here, those those three guys, I think, will be drafted next year. That's that's my prediction as of right now. And then those, because those three guys would technically be underclassmen getting drafted or guys who would still have eligibility left. There are some maybe seniors of guys who could get, of guys who could get drafted. That is Jake Bentley, Kelly Bryant, Joe Burrow, and then there is also the possibility of other underclassmen like Kellen Mond and Jared Garantano leaving school early for the NFL draft. That was nice That's... of you to just absolutely dog out Bentley for that entire segment and then he might <laughs> <Right>? get drafted. <laughs> um, no, I mean, yeah, like Mond, I think Mond would have a better chance of going as an underclassman than Garantano. Um, Probably. I would be shocked if... Wait, so... Yeah, okay, Burrow is a senior then. Kelly Bryant will get drafted for sure. I, I don't I don't know about Bentley. I, I tell you who's going to have the longest career out of anybody besides maybe Drew Locke is Kyle Shermer. I think Kyle Shermer's going to have... Okay, that's interesting. Just because of the fact that he's going to be one of those guys that like 10 years from now you're, you see him on the sideline holding a clipboard and right. you're like, oh, Smart kind of kid. the Chase Daniel thing. Yeah, yeah, went to Vandy, all that kind of stuff. Has a lot of connections. Coach's like, son. Coaches, I mean, like, I, I like Stidham. Stidham is such a great safe pick as a quarterback here, but... Um, I mean, is yeah, it? like it, it's the SEC gets a bad rap for the whole quarterback thing, but when you really look into it, like there's they have five starting quarterbacks in the NFL. That's third out of the Power Five conferences, so not great. But um, I think the Pac-12 has the most with seven, and then the ACC has six. But Wait, still, the SEC has five starting quarterbacks yeah, right now. They have a uh, let's see, Cam Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, uh, Dak, and uh, Tannehill is not SEC. Oh, what? He, was, he was only Big Twelve competition. Where's AM at? It was only Big 12 competition. Where is A&M at? Is, is Von Miller an, an SEC great? Yeah, he is now. You should see all the recruiting pitches they all get right. to. All, right. all the guys are okay. recruiting. Um, but then the Big 12 has, I guess, four then. So the SEC would have four, and then they'd be tied with the Big 10 and the Big 12. I think that the first-round conversation is, a, is at least interesting because I think a lot of people look at that and they try and make these narratives and come up with, oh, the Pac-12 is the conference of quarterbacks and all that stuff. So that's why, that's why I bring it up, and it's something to, to follow along. Let's go to draft over-unders. We have, we have a lot of stuff to get to right now with this. Speaking of quarterbacks, I set the over-under at picks that we're going to have to wait to hear Drew Locke's name called at 10.5. What are you taking? I am going to take... I'm going to take the under, and I so don't like it. Tenth. Yeah, 10th. I mean, just only because, like, right before we started doing this podcast, they I was looking at uh, one of the websites that has the actual prop bets, like, for the draft that you can bet on, and they had Haskins at over under, like, six and a half, like, before he's picked. And right as we got on here, it was moved to, I believe it was, like, 15 and a half. So that mm. leads, or I'm sorry, it was moved to 10 and a half. Which is even with Locke. So that leads me to believe there probably might be something going on. I feel like Haskins going to end up dropping back to 15 to Washington or somebody's going to trade for, for him. I think the Giants thing is a big smokescreen. I think the Giants take Haskins at six and they just don't want to make it look so obvious. They should, man. In my, in my opinion, Haskins is the best quarterback in the draft. Oh, That's, wow. I've been saying that for, for a while. But um, yeah, I, I think that the under would hit. I, we're, we have a mock draft, uh, Adam Spencer and I, that's coming out on Wednesday, I believe, where we traded picks back and forth. We I was not invited. You actually were, but then we kind of realized logistically ah, that it might be kind of a mess um, because hard picking yes. your brain is apparently a mess. Oh, no, it's not. That was mean. But we do have a mock draft coming Wait, out. What? And I have Drew Locke going at number two. I'm surprised you let that go. You just let me sit on that for, for a solid like five seconds I'm just, there. you know what? I'm not going to sit here and have somebody that picked Malik Willis as the eighth best quarterback a year after Speaking. picking Mississippi State. 
Speaking of Auburn quarterbacks, yes. Jared Stidham. Rounds that will have to wait to hear Jared Stidham's name called. I set the over-under at 2.5. Yeah, I think under. I think he gets so in going to be two. a second-round pick. Yeah. Okay. He's going to be Any good, guesses? too. Like he, He's a, a very safe pick. He has like all like the physical, the measurables, uh, the intangibles, all that kind of, all those cliches. I think he's going to be good. I think he's super intriguing. I, and safe and intriguing aren't necessarily opposites, but I think that we're going to find out a lot about Jared Sidham in the first year or so of his career because he's somebody that could be viewed as like a guy that could be number two on somebody's depth chart to go like go play for somebody who gets injured or if he gets taken by his, I don't think he'd be, get taken by somebody like the Dolphins because their whole tank for Tua thing um, that would kind of spoil his development with that. But anyways, I, I do think that he's going to have a chance to succeed in the NFL. I think it's actually over. I think he ends up going in the third round. I really? think he falls a little bit. Hold on. This whole thing about my brain? Let's, wasn't I the one that said Quinn should have been ahead of Bosa? Come on, man. We'll see. This we'll see what bother me for weeks. Picks that we're going to have to wait to hear either Montez Sweat or Jeffrey Simmons' name called. Keep in mind, we found out about the heart condition with Montez Sweat. Apparently, he is expected to fall in the draft, as we know with Jeffrey Simmons. He has the torn ACL, so the possibility of him playing in 2019, unless he's playing for Will Muschamp, are pretty much out the window. Um, So I set the over-under for that at 20. In other words, do you think that one of them will come off the board in the first 20 picks? Yes, without a doubt. Without a doubt. That'll okay. Um, currently, looking at this right now, the the um, Vegas prop bet is Montez Sweat over under seven and a half. I don't know if that's been updated since this whole I'm heart condition has come out. Literally has just it? updated it. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I will take the over on him not going in the first seven and a half picks after all this. After all this, this story broke this week. Jump on it now. Yeah, I would definitely do that. Um, and, and that's a shame because I think. If they're both healthy at 100% and there aren't those questions, I think that, in my opinion, they're, they're both top 10 talents in the draft. And I don't think they're going to be picked as such. And I think there's a decent chance that both of them end up falling. I'm actually going to take the over on this. I know, you know, I've been so high on everything Mississippi State, but I, I just think that when stuff like this comes out this late in the process with the draft, and I, I think with Simmons, it's more likely that a team that doesn't necessarily need a plug-and-play guy right away would be more willing to take a chance on him late in the first round, yeah. given the, Seahawks. The, the injury stuff. Seahawks could be a fit. Over under, three Bama players picked in the first round. So Vegas has it at two and a half. I'm going to take the over, because you're definitely getting two with Jonah Williams and Quinn and Williams. And I just feel like they every year I, I wonder if they're going to get like four, five, or six. Um, I think they've had the most... Uh, players drafted in the first round on any team in like six or five of the last eight years. But they're not going to this year. I, th- I think they'll get three, but but it's going to be close. Okay, so you have a push. No, no, I, I think they're going to get, well, I mean, it's two and a half. I, I we're, my over-under. These are my over-unders. That's not, not how you set an over-under. you got to have a hook on it so you can pick the over or the under. Yeah, but, okay, I probably should have. I probably should have gone with 2.5. Um, Mis- I mean, either way, it's, you're spot on with it because it's going to be right around three. Um, it's, it's all going to depend on if Josh Jacobs ends up getting drafted like in the, in the late first round or if the Patriots pick up Irv Smith. Did you hear that uh, Josh Jacobs played a game of horse with Frank Wright? What? The Colts coach. Yeah. Really? Did he win? Yeah. I don't know. What happened to Deontay Thompson, by the way? Remember when he was supposed to be like a first round pick? Oh, what did Shannon Sharp say about Deontay Thompson? Ooh, I don't know. 
it's like Ed Reed 2.0 or something. Yeah. Nice. We'll see. We'll see. Not 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 exactly, you know, dismissing that possibility, but just saying it's extremely unlikely. Total SEC players picked in the first round. I set the over-under at 12.5. Ugh, that's so good, Connor. It's going to be right around 12. Um, 12 is the record, by the way. The SEC and ACC have tied for the most players selected in the first round by a given conference. The SEC did that in 2013, and they did that as well in 2017. Where the hell did you find that? I was looking like all over the place last night. For I that wrote set. a story on that two months ago, just for well, a lot of it was for SEO purposes because I kind of think it'll happen this year. But also a little peel behind the onion there. I also think that it is relevant because you're seeing all these mock drafts where there's like 14 or 15 SEC guys coming off the board. Yeah, so I I went and, uh, was extra prepared last night and wrote down. 12 different um, mock drafts, like how many SEC players each of them had, because it was Mock Draft Monday. And they're all right around 12. I, I want to say it's going to be under, but when you have guys like Abrams from Mississippi State that could sneak in late, I'm going to mm-hmm. say I'm gonna say it's going to be 12 exactly. They're going to go under. All right. I'll, I guess I'm just being the SEC homer here. I'll take the over. That's you. Yeah, that, that would be a record. That would be, uh, that would be quite the feat for the SEC. That would certainly be... A very loud flex of the muscles from the old SDS Twitter account. If I'm just going to yes. predict some stuff here. That will be accurate. Yeah. We have prop bets, Uncle Chris. So, yeah. Um, we're going to lose a little steam because they're very similar to what we just did. But we'll just keep it rolling. So, these are actual prop bets from Vegas that you can bet on. Um, actual prop bets. I no, am you, the and you were spot bet. on. Again, you're so good at this. You should open a casino, man. I'd give you all my money. Okay. So, you can bet on the following things. First off, all right. Who will be the first defensive back drafted? Ooh. Gosh, that's tough. So I would go probably Greedy say Williams, Greedy Byron Williams Murphy. Be... He has the, the best odds. It's a... I'd give... I'd probably say Greedy, although I'm not quite as high on him. I'm just... I, I'm sorry, LSU fans, and I've said this before when, when we did our top 20 SEC players thing and I left him off. I'm not as high on Greedy Williams, I know, but I think he will be the first guy taken, first defensive back taken. I really like that Byron Murphy from from Washington. Um, I Greedy running the four three seven, I think, kind of sealed the deal. So I, I'm going to say Greedy Williams, um, but Byron Murphy could be. I mean, he could be the pick too. Yeah, that's gonna be close. Um, let's see here. Who will be the second overall pick? Gosh, that's a it's a fascinating question. So it's Bosa is minus three hundred. You can get Quinnen at plus three hundred. Kyler Murray at plus 600, Haskins at plus 1300, and my favorite, Josh Allen at plus 1400. Man, that is tough. That is so tough. Um, I'm going to say... I'm going to say Bosa. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume... No, I shouldn't assume. I know the reports about Kyler Murray going number one overall. They're apparently backing off. Um, but there is still the possibility that they would then take Quentin Williams number one and that Bosa would go number two. So I'm going to take Bosa, although I don't feel good about it. That's, I think it's a safe bet. I, I would take, honestly, I would take Allen or Quinnen just because if Bosa can't stay off social media and, and keep like hurting his stock. But Well, he actually did. He deleted all of his tweets. Oh, that's good. There you go. Um, I, I would still take Allen or, or Quinn Williams. And, and Allen, obviously, from his quote today, he's got a lot of confidence going into this. Uh, Josh Jacobs, over or under 24 and a half? And Basically, is he going to be picked by the Colts or is he going to be picked by the Eagles? Because the Colts have the number, I think the Colts have the 24th pick and then the Eagles have the 25th. Um, um, I thought the Raiders are the 25th, but maybe it's, maybe it's not. Eh, maybe it's not. Um, you know how my brain works, Connor. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna say under. I say it goes 24th. So the odds on that are minus 265 to go over 24 and a half, which is oh, wow. worrisome if you, if you're looking for Bama to get over two and a half players drafted in the first round. I I'm gonna say I'm gonna say over because I think it's right at 25, but I still think he gets drafted in the first round. Um, okay, here you go. This we'll do two more. Uh, will there be more defensive players drafted in the first round or offensive players? It's you can't just bet on one or the other. There's actually a spread. So defensive players are minus three and a half. I'd still take defensive players. Yeah. I think just all the talent on the defensive line, especially. I, I think that this is such a defensive heavy draft in the first round, especially. I'd be surprised if they didn't if they didn't have at least four more defensive players in offensive. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because um, that's eighteen to fourteen. I mean, there's, yeah. there's like all the mocks have it like twelve, like twenty to twelve or something like that. That's crazy. So, yeah, that's that'd be my guess. And again, all the people that are going to sneak in late are, are for the most part. I, like I feel like they're everyone that I've heard this week is like a defensive back, so like or like a safety or something like that. Um, let's see, first receiver drafted. DK Metcalf. This is this is tough. This is the, this, this is, is the best one. We did so in this mock that we have coming out. I have A.J. Brown, actually, as the first receiver off the board. And I actually don't think that'll happen, but I did this as did like, who I it? would take. No, because I did it as who I would take. Um, so while I would take A.J. Brown as the first receiver off the board, I think it's still going to be Metcalf. I think it's still going to be, given all the, the physical traits that he has, I, I don't think he's going to be picked in the top. Uh, I don't think he's going to be picked in the top 15, but I think that he ends up being the first one off the board, maybe like somewhere in the... The, the back half of the first round. Um, so he is. I'm trying to think here. He's the he's the favorite, and then uh, Hollywood Brown from Oklahoma is the the second mm-hmm. betting favorite. I would take yeah. him, and honestly, I kind of like that. Um, the AJ Brown pick or the uh, the what's I don't know. I'm gonna mess this name up. Nikhil Harry. Yeah, Arizona State. Yeah. yeah. Um. So okay, last one. How many quarterbacks will be drafted in the first round? Over under three and a half. Man, I'm going to take the – oh, man. Because it's basically asking you, do you think Daniel Jones is a first-round quarterback? Exactly. Because we think, we think that Kyler Murray, we think that Dwayne Haskins and Drew Locke are the three, dare I say, locks of the first there round. There it is. Gosh, just from all this crap I've been hearing about Daniel Jones. And that's not to say that he's going to be a bust necessarily. I just don't buy into it. I'm going to probably say over, although I, don't, I would not like seeing that. So I think he's the third best prospect. I, I, I would take him over Kyler Murray, to be honest, because I don't, I don't think Kyler Murray's going to be successful oh. in the NFL. Um, anyway, so I, I would say, I'm still going to say under, because I don't think they're going to take him at, at 32, because it's basically how the Pats going to take him or not. Last one, we're doing one more. DK Metcalf, over under 18 and a half. This was yeah. over under 12 and a half right before we came on as well. Ooh. Oh, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna say over. I'm gonna say that he gets picked after the, I guess so 19th pick or later. That's that's what I'm gonna go with too. Yeah. There's there's not a lot of teams that are like that have these these big time receiver needs. Also, that's what I've noticed in the first part of the draft, and that's that kind of factors into the equation. Yeah. So, um, let's go to somebody who knows a little bit more about the draft than we do. Matt Miller, a Bleacher Report. Great interview with him. He played Family Feud. One of the better interviews I think we've ever had. Yeah, I don't hype this up too much, but he he's great. If you're not following him on Twitter yet, I mean, you, well, you probably are because he's at NFL Draft Scout. That's actually something that we got to ask him about. Um, but he was a great, great interview. So let's get to that, our interview with Matt Miller. We're now excited to be joined by a very, very special guest. It is Bleacher Report's Matt Miller. 
You already follow him on Twitter at NFL Draft Scout. Matt, let's let's start right there because I've always wondered that about you. Uh, I feel like you have the handle that all of Draft Twitter wishes that they had. Um, how are you the first one to get that Twitter handle? Man, guys, I'll tell you, you you're probably the third or fourth people to ask me that this year, and I've honestly Dang. never been asked that question before. So it's surprising to me. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, I don't I think it says on Twitter when you join. I don't remember exactly like when the moment was that I joined, but I know at the time, um, like I didn't work at Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report might not have even been created yet, um, but I worked in marketing, and so I ran, I ran social marketing, um, which like sounds like a job now, but in two thousand nine, it or probably two thousand nine, it really wasn't. But I did a lot of like search engine optimization, and I was running like our Facebook page, and you know things like that were really, you know Instagram was kind of taking off a little bit, and so. I knew a lot about, back then uh, about what keywords do I want to put in because I, I kind of thought of Twitter as like my resume for hopefully getting a job in football. And so it was like, well, what do I, what do, I do? And it was like, well, I want to scout the NFL draft. And so it was like, yeah, that's a pretty damn good Twitter name. So um, <laughs> I don't know how. No one else had that. But it was just like in that, in that time of, you know, like my whole world was marketing and, and, you know, like keywords and searches and things like that. And it was like, all right, well, when I, when people join Twitter, they're going to search NFL draft. I want them to follow me. And, and, uh, it, I guess it paid off. I don't know. I really felt like, you know, it took me a long time to gain any steam on Twitter. I, I, I assign most of my credit to Bleacher Report and not to like getting a, a catchy username on Twitter, but maybe it's, maybe it's both. I don't know. I love that. You have a lot of steam on Twitter right now. That, that's definitely for sure. Um, you made some big news last week by moving Quinton Williams up to number one on your big board ahead of Nick Bosa. Is that a product just of how well everybody has said Williams has really performed during this pre-draft process with the interviews? Or is that maybe more so digging a little bit deeper into tape and realizing that he pretty much does everything well? You know, it was it was for me, honestly, tape. Because I'd heard that, you know, things, uh, you know, You've been in this business as long as I've been. You have a lot of friends across the country who work for different teams. And I'd heard all the things about, like, man, Quinnen came in for a visit, and we love him. And it's like, yeah, and I knew that. But for me, it really came down to a couple of factors. I think, number one, the fact that, that Nick Bosa's had two pretty serious injuries in four years. And I worry about that because I think some of my biggest misses all time as a, a draft evaluator is, betting on guys who were hurt and thinking that they were going to get better in the NFL. And it just, it doesn't happen very often. People who have a history of injury tend to get hurt more in the NFL. And so I think when Nick, you go look at his injuries, you go look at his brother's injuries. Like they're built very similarly. Joey's been banged up a lot in the NFL too. So that factored in for me. But then the, this thought like started seeping into my mind and I started like bouncing it off some of my, like my co-host at six football, I bounced it off some people in the NFL and it was like, I actually think that Nick Bosa is maxed out. Like he's, you, you look at him and he looks like a statue, right? But then also, there's this point that like, okay, his dad was a first round pick and his brother was a first round pick. And now he's going to be a first round pick. Like he, he's gotten great coaching at, at Ohio State. He's also had great coaching at home. How much better can he get than he is right now? Like he's not going to get stronger. He's not going to get that much bigger. He's not going to get that much faster. Kind of is who he is. Quentin Williams, a one year starter at Alabama, who, for me, came out of nowhere. So with Quinn and I see room to get better, even though like Alabama, I, I think is the pinnacle of a coaching staff and Nick Saban's amazing. But I, I think there's actually room for him to get better with more reps, with more training, 
Um, you know, you guys probably know better than anybody the, the work he's done on, on his body, on his frame. So I see Quinn as someone who has some room to, to shoot ahead of them. I like Nick Bosa a lot. I'm not trying to, to downplay his talent in any way, but if I had to put my, my money on one of them to be the better player five years from now, I'm going to take a chance on Quinn Williams. Matt, as somebody who's gotten into an argument with my current co-host about these two players on Twitter, <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for that assessment. I, 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 you know, checks in the mail. I appreciate that. Um, following up with that, though, Bama, Bama, Bama has you. several yeah. prospects who have been given, quote-unquote, first-round grades, much to Nick Saban's displeasure. How many Bama prospects do you actually see going in the first round? Yeah, man, Nick Saban's got a rough down there, doesn't he? Um, it uh, def- definitely Quinnen. I mean, Quinnen will go first round without a doubt. I-, I think Jonah Williams has a chance to go top ten, so he'll be a first round pick. Josh Jacobs should. I have been mocked by by podcast hosts, I feel you, man, uh, for saying that I think Josh Jacobs is a better running back prospect than Leonard Fournette was. Love and it. every time I Whoa. say that, people are like. I don't know how much I can curse on your podcast. I might not be able to repeat what people say, but they're always surprised when I say that. So if it were up to me, Josh Jacobs would be a surefire first rounder. I don't care about the 40 times. Like who cares? I watch the dude put people in their grave uh, when they try to tackle him in the open field. He's a great receiver. So I think what it's all said and done, Josh would be a first rounder after there. I, I think you, that's probably the drop off. So I would say, you know, you probably actually set the over under at two and a half. Alabama this year, which is surprising because there are a lot of Alabama players that are going to get drafted. I think Irv Smith is a round two guy. Deontay Thompson's a round two guy. Christian Miller and Mac Wilson are round two guys. Damian Harris is a round three guy. So there's going to be a lot of Alabama players drafted. A lot. And there's there's quite a few more that will be day three type players. But there's not that no, there's not that top end, which is, is funny because for me, the top player <laughs> yeah. in the draft is from Alabama. And I have Jonah Williams top ten. And I have Josh Jacobs top ten. But you know, there's, there's probably three guys in the top 32, and then and then we'll see them peppered throughout. So the I've been workshopping this take for the last two months, and you're you're probably the best person to tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. I've been saying that if Montez Sweat wore an Alabama uniform during his college career, he'd easily be a top five pick. Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, that's tough. Does he still kicked out of Michigan State, or like, you mean his I, whole I, career? So because question. I think that's a one of the keys with Montez Sweat. So. If Nick Saban had recruited him out of high school and he got to Tuscaloosa and stayed there for three years, I actually agree with you. I think he would be. I think he would be um, a little more productive, a little better coached, and there wouldn't be the question marks about his off-field. Because when I first started uh, really diving into this draft class, I one of my really good friends is, is very connected to Mississippi State, and I told him, I was like, man, I might like Montez Sweat. I think I had Montez Sweat around 11 or 12 overall. This was back in early December. He was like, yeah, but, man, he really doesn't love football. There's some, like, background stuff that's going on. And, like, that's a red flag to me. It's like, oh, he doesn't love football. Like, that's that's a that's a dirty word when it comes to, to prospect evaluation. And so then he goes on to have that amazing senior bowl, great combine. He's tearing it up in workouts. But that, that dark cloud is kind of following him around. You hear that a lot. Of, yeah, he got kicked out of Michigan State for disciplinary reasons and might not be the most disciplined guy, could be a little bit lazy. That's a little scary for me as a pass rusher. There aren't any, you know, like, still red flags like the Jeffrey Simmons video. There's no failed drug tests or anything like that that I know of. Um, but I think Alabama would have been a, a much, much better place for him to go. And 
and refine his talent and probably stay out of trouble. This might be an obvious answer, Matt, following Connor's question, but what SEC prospect may have helped his draft stock the most during the combine or pre-draft season, and did it involve a shirtless picture in the gym? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad you brought that up, Uh, but I don't know if you mean DK Metcalf (laughs) or A.J. Brown because it's both of them. So I'm I'm really proud of it, really, really proud of NFL teams this year because normally – Something like that would happen. A DK Metcalf would run a 4.33 at 228 pounds and a, a made-up body fat percentage, and people would lose their minds. Yeah. But this year, everyone's like, like everybody knows, like, hey man, like that crazy girl's hot, but she's crazy. You know, like the DK <laughs> is okay. Like he's super, super athletic, but he broke his neck this year. He's had foot injuries, and he—I don't know that he can bend over to tie his shoes. He's so stiff. So I think with DK, it's there's. It only takes one team, and, and that is like the truest thing ever about the NFL draft. But by and large, I think people know that there should be like, you know, buyer beware when you look at him because, and I've said before, I'm, I'm pretty low on him, but he has the highest ceiling maybe of any yeah. player in the entire class. If his traits pay off, we're looking at Calvin Johnson. If his traits don't pay off, like we, we look at this and say this guy could be a huge bust because he's been hurt like we were talking about before. He really never had production at Ole Miss. So he is, like, body beautiful. It's exactly what you want um, from a, a prospect in terms of height, weight, speed. But the three-cone times were bad at the combine and his pro day, which is pretty alarming for a wide receiver when, when your job is to go be agile in space, and, and he really can't do that. So we had uh, we had Mark Stoops on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking to him about Josh Allen. And we basically asked him, like, you know, why should Josh Allen be the number one overall pick? I, am I crazy for for thinking that there's years, at least during the 21st century, if you look at the if you looked at the draft, that Josh Allen would be the number one overall guy? No, that's not crazy at all. Um, I, I think there are some teams that are still having that debate or they were as of earlier this week. I know um, because when I made the change to put Quinnen in the top, I expected a lot of texts of like, you're an idiot. And I actually got a lot of texts of like, you know, that's, that's pretty in line with what we're all seeing too. And that Josh Allen's not far behind. So, you know, I, I don't think last year he would have been, I, I take Juan Barkley as the top player. Bradley Chubb is the second 2017 miles. Garrett was pretty special. So he wouldn't have been then, but you know, 2016, like, probably could have been maybe not the first player, but the top player on boards because, um, you know, Jared Goff being the first pick, there were a lot of people who, who weren't high on him. I'll actually, one of the few times I'll pat myself on the back. That was one of the few players I was right on was Jared Goff, but um, that would have been a year where he could have been. He definitely would have been in 2015. Uh, probably would have been in 2013 as well. That was just a terrible draft. So I, I like Josh Allen. I, I was telling some of our producers uh, yesterday, like, I don't know why people aren't, like people don't seem to understand just how huge of a season he had. Like he should have won Heisman votes. He had such a good year. Uh, the production was all over the place. The, the problem is just that Kentucky wasn't, you know, they weren't one of the top teams in the country and their offense was terrible. So they, you know, they couldn't compete once they got into conference play. But I mean, the dude had 21 and a half tackles for a loss and 17 sacks. That's it's ridiculous. And, and also I think he, he forced five fumbles. Like it, he just had a crazy year. But he's really not been talked about it as much as, at least as much as I think he should have been. Well, he couldn't get Kentucky to the Final Four, which cost me my bracket, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. 
Um, so another Kentucky prospect, Same, dude. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, another Kentucky prospect we know and love, of course, is Benny Snell. Uh, what kind of team do you think will take Benny next weekend? What kind of NFL career do you think he may have? And keep in mind, you can be negative with this answer because it's only going to fuel his fire, which he loves. Yeah, I know he's tweeted <laughs> too, and it's like, dude, it's not, it's not personal. It's not. I was actually just uh, before I talked to you guys, I, I turned my phone off for an hour because I, I told my girlfriend I can't take another player upset with me today about where I ranked him. <laughs> so um, Benny Snell is is part of this class of, of guys who are uh, upset with me. Um, I I like Benny Snell's. I mean, yeah, he's he's fired up. He's a good power running back. I, I think the problem is you look at a dude that a lot of wear and tear in college. He ran. I, I know I said I don't care about the 40 time with Josh Jacobs, but with him it's because I've seen it. I've seen it on tape. With Benny Snell, like you worry about speed, and he went out and ran a 4.66. So that's concerning for me. Um, I think he could be a day three pick without a doubt. And he's, I don't, there's no way he's going to be a, a day two pick or shouldn't be anyway. But I could see him going to a team, you know, like the, the Chicago Bears have Tariq Cohen. I know they signed Mike Davis, but a team like that that would want to add a really good short yardage power back someone who can work well in zone schemes. I compared him to Carlos Hyde, um, who's with the Kansas City Chiefs right now. That would be another team. You know, someone that, that will let him be a one-cut type runner, more between the tackles than not, but, but can pick up a, you know, a solid three, four, five yards consistently. Um, I, I do like Benny. I, I like his game. You know, he was one of the best players in college football this past year. Unfortunately, that doesn't always mean you're going to be a great NFL player, even in the SEC. So I think you know, there's, there's a lot of – when I didn't like him, in season as a prospect, a lot of people struggle with that. It's like this guy's dominating. He's, he's near the top of the charts in terms of rushing. He's this big personality. He's on game day every week. Like, why don't you like him? And, you know, he just, I, I don't know how, that he has the outside vision. He really doesn't have the outside speed. Um, the, the lateral agility is not there to make people miss in the backfield. So you start to get typecast as, all right, well, you're probably like a short yardage or goal line type back. And, and unfortunately, those guys just aren't valued. And they're definitely not as much as they used to be because now, the NFL game so much about spreading it out and speed and it's starting to look like the Big 12 um, with a little bit of defense being played. Okay, but what if I told you that um, he has an up-and-coming rap career? He's God. a better rapper than <laughs> uh, Le'Veon Bell. Benny the Bandit is going platinum. Does that kind of change your mind of him or, or no? No, man. I would say it's, it's good that he has a second revenue stream. <laughs> so good for him. <laughs> oh, man. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> We had him listening right. to this the whole time, by the way, Matt. Just so you know, he's been on this phone call. That's good. I was actually waiting for that. That would have been – someone should do that. Like, someone should oh, get me or, or Todd McShay or whatever to trash a prospect and be like, by the way, Benny Snell's on the phone. Right. Yeah, that would be hilarious. You guys should do that. So so we've got uh, – I've got one more question for you before we do our rapid-fire family feud uh, NFL draft edition. Um, so a few months ago – and. I, I talked to you about, you know, I, I realize that you're about a couple weeks away from putting out your 2020 mock draft and already moving on to that, that next class. But I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of a teaser. How, how high are you uh, going to have Tua and Jake Fromm? Yeah, um, I'm fun to talk about that because I love, I'm like the ultimate let's get into next year kind of guy. Like that my, my coworkers at Patriot Report hate me because <laughs> it'll be day three of the draft. And I'm like, hey, let's tease next year. Like, Let's just like let's roll the graphic. Here's my top ten for next year. I'm higher on Jake Plum. Honestly, am I think I love Tua. Like God, I, I love watching Tua play. But you know, I, I think with him, I worry about mm-hmm. arm strength um, a little bit. I worry about how long he holds the ball in the pocket. Um, obviously, being banged up this year made it made it tough to get a good evaluation of him because 
by the time I really started watching, not just to enjoy the game or to, to break down the college aspect of it, he was he was so hurt. It was hard to watch. They're almost polar opposites. You know, Jake Brown is almost more of a, like a game manager. You know, he beats you with his mind, and he's really accurate. And I got a chance to watch him in person against LSU, which was probably the worst <laughs> game he's ever played in his life. And so it was like, oh, man. I, and then, But then he bounced back so well the week after, and that was, that was really big to me. It was, okay, like, you went into Death Valley, and, and you got your tail kicked. And it was like this hot, like sunny day, and everybody down there was just trashed, and it was loud, and I was a part of that. <laughs> so it was great. I mean, it was fun. But um, Jake Plum just didn't, you know, he doesn't. He's never, you're never gonna watch him and be like, oh my god, he has a great arm, or he's this fantastic athlete. But he's he's so smart, and he's poised, and and he can beat you a lot of different ways. I think with Tua, like Tua's more of what you know we saw from like a Baker Mayfield or. You know, even this year, you know, he's definitely not as fast as Kyler Murray, but his ability to extend the play, you know, to string things out, to, you know, drift, 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 and then pick you apart. And, and the power aspect of what he does to the runner is pretty, pretty fun as well. So I'm higher on Jake Fromm. I, I think he would be, if I had to put out the list today, it would be Jake Fromm to a Justin Herbert, then Jacob Eason, um, who's at Washington now, who was at Georgia. Um, and, and it's been fun talking to players from Georgia you know, about those two quarterbacks. Like, which one do you like better? Or we've actually thrown Justin Fields in when talking to players. You know, like, you like, break these quarterbacks down, and they always say, you know, like, Justin Fields is the greatest athlete. Jacob Eason has this huge arm. You know, just he's, he's the traits guy. But, but Jake Fromm is – he's the mental guy that's just – he's on a different level than a lot of college quarterbacks at that. So that's something that I really value. And But it's going to be fun. This, this 2020 draft class is going to be crazy with – the receivers coming out of Alabama, receivers coming out geez, of Clemson, of Michigan. Then you got all the quarterbacks, Chase Young, A.J. Epinesa. There's basically my top ten right there. I just spoiled <laughs> it. It's, it's going to be a fun year. Well, I mean, I will say that Fromm is 0-2 against Tua, and I don't see the Dolphins tanking for Fromm. But we'll move on from that, Matt. We will move on from that. Um, so we're going to get you out of here on a little family feud. We called it that because I couldn't think of anything creative. It's just rapid-fire questions. There's nothing to do with family feud. There's there's some points involved, but I got nine questions. We got <laughs> kind of t- yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's good. we got about two minutes on the clock. We can go over under. It doesn't really matter. Are you ready to play? Just rapid fire. First thing that comes to mind. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, here we go. First question: If you were a character on The Office, who would you be? Michael Scott. Hey, man. I was going to say Todd Packer for that From thing over two. It's fine. It's fine. It's a good answer. Um. So, first beer you're drinking. I know you're a beer guy. First beer you're drinking to celebrate the end of NFL draft season. Uh, Boulevard Wheat, uh, which is hard to find in New York, which is where I'll be, so I might have to bring some with me. But uh, if I if I can only drink one beer for the rest of my life, it's a Boulevard Wheat. It's so good. That double white IPA from them, too, is really good, too. Um, go good, to yeah. Chick-fil-A order. Oh, man. So, I like to go for breakfast, get the chicken minis. Um, I get like eight of those suckers and, and that's all I need for the day. So, um, if it's breakfast, it's chicken minis and a Good diet move. lemonade. That stuff's crack. I think the <laughs> diet is meth. Like it's just, I, it's addicting. This is the second time the word meth has been used in this podcast in two weeks. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, okay. Fourth question. Uh, speaking of minis, least favorite scouting adjective and tell me why it's gritty. Oh, no, gritty's a good one least favorite scout i hate uh bubble because like everyone knows you're just talking about the guy's ass just say it like why do you have to be coy about the fact that you're like so bubble's the one that i'm always like that we're not children guys we can just say it like <laughs> that's good that's good strong lower half um okay it's perfect yeah. transition favorite disney princess 
Oh God. Oh Jasmine. Jasmine for sure. Nice. Yes. Exactly. Okay. She's like yeah. cartoon Kardashian. Moving on. Next one. Uh, bucket list concert. <laughs> Jason Isbell at Red Rocks. That's easy. I was just telling someone that. So. Nice. Okay. From Alabama. No big deal, Connor. Uh, three more questions here. Better springtime activity for fans: NHL playoffs or MLB opening day? MLB opening day. I say that as a Royals fan, and we went to opening Ooh. day uh, or opening weekend, and it snowed on us. It was thirty degrees, Ooh. and it snowed. But I love the NHL playoffs. I'm a Predators fan, but there's nothing like opening day when the weather's great. That's true. That's true. Okay, two two questions left. You've heard of Kill Mary Blank, uh, draft sign cut. Yeah. Jared Sidham, Kyle Shermer, Jordan Taomu. Oh, so draft sign cut. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Um. You could throw in Kill Mary Screw if you want. Who were they? Okay. Who were the three quarterbacks again? I was I was getting caught up on the not F Mary Kill. Okay. <laughs> okay, Jared Sidham, Kyle Shermer, and Jordan Tamu. Oh, okay, this is easy. Yeah, I'm gonna draft Sidham. Uh I'll sign Shermer and I'll I'll cut the Ole Miss kid whose name I can't say. You had all those weapons uh, Ole Miss and like it's just frustrating. You couldn't get Dolphin Knox and touchdown all year, man, so I don't want you. Oh, wow. All right. That's fair. Um, okay. Last but not least, give us an SEC prospect not named Tua or Fromm. They'll be highest in your 2020 rankings. Jerry Judy. Love that. Love that. Let me add these up real quick here, Matt. That is, you know what? I'm going to give you 169 <laughs> points. That is very nice. That's a good score. Ooh, very nice. nice. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Matt, we appreciate it. Real quick, is Texas back? Oh, God. Oh, man, you're playing with my emotions now. I mean, we did beat Georgia with half their roster, so <laughs> I hope so. I, I, th- I think we're trending in the right direction. But if you're a Texas fan, you've learned to, like, never, ever, ever get too excited because then you'll just lose to Maryland in the season opener. So hopefully, <laughs> but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Words to live by. Never get too excited or lose to Maryland in the season opener. Matt, that is a walk-off. We appreciate you joining us. Best of luck in New York. Um, hopefully the craziness um, doesn't doesn't get you too stressed out. Looking forward to the 2020 mock and all your coverage over there at Bleacher Report. Appreciate it. We will do this again very soon. Appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks, thanks man. Appreciate Matt coming on. Let's get to some nonsense. That was too much. Well, I mean, we, we got to some good stuff in Family Feud, some nonsense there. But let's get to some more nonsense in Fourth and Wrong. Let's get into some Fourth and Wrong. We have four questions that you, the audience, asked. And uh, we got some good ones here. So let's start with this one. This is from Kobe Wayne Black on Twitter. What is your favorite Easter candy? It's Reese's Eggs. Those are the best. If somebody's going to come at me with the take that peeps are great... Just, oh, just take gross. that somewhere else. Just take that somewhere else because there's no way that people should be consuming those things on an annual no. basis. I'm sorry. There's a reason that they don't sell those year-round, and it's because they're trash. Yeah, they Peeps are for garbage are people. Terrible. Give me Reese's eggs all day. Uh, when I went to see Patty Sue Pie pee, uh, preach this weekend, we walked into the nursery, like where they had this, all this like, little cute stuff for the kids or whatever that go to church there, and they made little peeps with all their names on it on the wall. Oh, that's a shame. Whoever made it kept the word brand in the logo. So it was the full-on Peeps brand, like, cut out from... I, don't, I thought it was funny. It's ridiculous. There's no reason to have that on there. And there's a kid named Fox and Gus that I met that were under the age of five. Fox, as we fox found out. Fox and Gus. Last week, apparently, I could, I could intimidate a fox. 
That's at least well, my belief. You just said that. Um, yeah, I'm going to say Reese's Eggs. I would love to see like how their sales do from after Easter to October. Is it amazes any... me that they have sales to begin with. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, let's see. If you could change the ending to a movie, what would it be? It's from Dustin Smith, 95. It's not an ending. It's a beginning. Apollo Creed lives. That ruins the whole movie. No, he just can be, he can be in the hospital and he can be severely bruised. Maybe you can make him, I don't know, just make him like a, basically a vegetable where he's sitting in the hospital and he can't do anything for himself, but don't let that man die. Let you him want to be live. a vegetable? It sounds like Million Dollar Baby. Okay, maybe I went too far with that. Just make him very, you can make him very injured. Drago packs a punch. I get that. You know, you can't have him be perfectly healthy and all of a sudden like able to like train Rocky for the rest of the movie, but... You can have these shots. It's like you could have Apollo become the sick kid in the hospital that Rocky is fighting for. Am I am I off base here? Yeah, you're way off base. I mean, I kind of get what you're saying though, because it it really was a steep drop off to have like Pauly be like his quarter guy. That that was the worst. Hello, you rock. Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. He had that weird thing with the the robot again. But I mean, yeah, I guess not much would have changed. We would never got Creed though. Those movies. Was he? I think he was born before that. Adonis was. You know everything. I'm gonna say Blow. Have you ever seen Blow? Haven't. No. What? It's a fantastic movie. Um, I feel like it was responsible for like 20% of D bags with posters on their walls in in college. That was like their favorite movie. And Boondock Saints. It's a fascinating tale, true story of a guy who was a drug kingpin, and kept getting caught. And it was it's a really good movie. But the last five minutes, like he turned his life around. And does like one more sale and gets arrested and put in prison and his daughter never talks to him again. Tough ending. Tough ending. Uh, okay, yeah, probably. You're talking about somebody being a vegetable, Connor. It's a really good movie. It's a really good movie. Um, yeah, all right, my six-year-old is playing me. his first year of baseball and hates playing defense and only wants to hit. How do I get him more excited about playing the field? Jonathan Mason. Playing defense in baseball is the equivalent to leg day. There are people that are willing to go out and do it. I get what you're doing. But it's easier to not do it. And if you can just say, you know what? I don't need to work on my legs. I don't need to have that explosion. I'm not playing sports anytime soon. I just want to be able to walk down the street, have people look at my arms and say, that dude probably lifts weights. Nobody ever looks at somebody's legs and says, that dude probably lifts weights. Nobody ever looks at somebody's defense in baseball and says, that person's a really good baseball player. If you can't hit, you're not considered a good baseball player. You ever heard of web gems? Oh, I've heard of web gems. Or Don't get me wrong, one. but there's still a standard that those guys have to get to. Where even like Billy Hamilton, who can't hit to save his life, and he can steal bases and run yeah. down balls in center field, those guys still have a certain standard that they can get up to to be able to hit. So, I guess my my comp is that play defense because it matters, and you should also do leg day because that matters too. And you're not a real gym rat unless you do leg day. I don't even the gym rat thing was. I like that today, actually. Can you tell? Uh, yeah, you're really just, I mean, you are hardcore today. <laughs> um, no, so, but I, I don't know if it's like leg day at all. Um, what, what I will say is it's like if you were a receiver and you had to only practice blocking drills constantly, you'd rather go out and catch passes. Like, defense is an important part of the game. I hated playing defense. I loved being DH. I was DH for most of high school and college, all that kind of stuff. Hitting is, like, the most fun part. However, um... I mean, yeah, it's probably best for him to start, you know, like he's, he's going to be more well-rounded if he starts playing defense. He's yeah, got to find his position. That's what it's going to take. 
play second base, you're farthest away from the ball for the most part. And you're not on an island like right field. But hitting's only like the main reason you play baseball. It's the most fun. Hitting part. is the main reason you play baseball, but defense still important, but not necessarily the thing that everybody. You really just want to talk about leg day, and that's all you want to do. I did. Um, okay, this is the last one. This is my favorite one from Brett Myers. Which household duty do you do better than your significant other? Uh, dishes. My wife. My wife broke our dishwasher because she couldn't load it. My wife is this is the smartest person that I have ever met. But man. Unbelievable tragedy when she had to put something in the dishwasher that did not go in the correct spot and it broke the whole thing. We had to get a new dishwasher because of it. I am the dishes man. I do all the dishes, whether it's you know taking stuff out of the dishwasher, being able to like hand wash everything and do all that with the drying and stuff. Sounds fun. I don't let I don't let her near the dishwasher anymore out of fear that she's going to break it. Like I said, incredibly smart human being, smartest human being I've ever met. I'm sorry for what does not know the dishwasher. Oh, you were just belittled everybody today. I'm sorry. Stay away from the dishes. That's yep. 2019, man. Um, so I this is a tough one for me because that's like I thought it'd be lame to say nothing, but I'm really having to rack my brain because Allie's a lot better than I am. Um, for household I can see stuff, that. yeah, thanks, man. Um, I would say probably probably walking the dog. That's probably it. How are you bad at walking the dog? I'm not. I'm great at it. Oh, you're great at it. You're yeah, better you at it. you just assumed oh, gotcha. that I was gotcha. not good at it because you already <laughs> jumped down my throat. Um, no, like she, whenever she walks up, it takes like an hour and 15 minutes. She's like, he just sat there. I'm like, we, he's on a leash. Pull him a little bit. My parents were not pleased with the rearing of our fake child this weekend because of how. Don't call, call Casey your fake child. He's, I mean, he's our fake child. And it's not, it, oh man, that kid, he's going to have a gluten allergy. He's soft. How did we get into a conversation with me, you, and Will about who has relieved themselves on the carpet before? And you were sending cat videos. I sent a cat to a video. text thread with, with men. I also tweeted that. Don't don't hate. Don't hate on Rudy. All right, jerk. Um, all right, we have, and it might mean too much. And it was one that man, I, we could see coming. We could see coming. There is more context to this. In case you missed it. At the gurgling cod, tweeted out a picture that he got from his buddy of experiencing Easter in the SEC for the very first time. So the picture showed on the one side of this this graphic that the, the pastor was was pointing to. It was Georgia, and under Georgia, it read the following things: sacrifice for sin, eternal life, new life, free from power of sin. And on the Florida side. You can guess what it read. Going to hell. Sin. Death. Sinful nature. Slave to sin. So I would have never guessed that's what it said. Stunning, right? So and aggressive. I even, I even tweeted out, like, on, on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, I said, if your pastor has some sort of comp about Jesus rising from the dead and comparing it to whatever football team that you root for, it might mean too much. Yeah. So I guess this is not necessarily that, but... I actually went and, and did a little did a little bit of research on this. So the pastor is Sean, I think it's Sean C. from uh, a church in Athens. And I went and I watched the clip. I watched like eight minutes of this clip right. of the lead up to it. And as Pastor Sue, Patty Sue could attest to, there was a point behind this message. It wasn't just throwing it out there like with nothing. I don't name in this at all. <laughs> so he was trying to explain Paul's message in Romans. And he basically said like how Adam was on one side and Jesus was on the other. And how human beings are born now like, or human beings were born like Adam. But, you know, because somebody like Jesus came along, 
we are also like because Jesus died for our sins, all that stuff. I don't want to get into a Christianity spiel here, are, but he was using that to try and explain this point, and he basically said this, used this comparison of like if Paul came to Athens, Georgia, and tried to make this comparison today in 2019. Here's how I think he'd do that, and obviously he's doing that a little bit tongue in cheek, but like it's still. It was nice of Georgia fans to see that graphic that was just. <laughs> Absolutely 100% explicit about um, their rival being sinners, but not to get upset about that graphic. Right. Direct all their energy at the one that I made about Kirby Smart. Um, I will say that Patty Sue, when she gave her, uh, she had a great, great service. It was awesome. She got so happy. There was They did this little um, children's sermon, I guess, where they bring all the kids up and they give them like little, like, I don't know, little mini sermon and toys and stuff like that. So one of the girls comes up and she's like two years old, so her mom's with her. And my mom starts off and like they're all like shy and quiet. She goes, so Easter's kind of like a surprise. Do you guys like surprises? Like what are some good surprises and some bad surprises? And everyone there is like seven years old and under. So they're just quiet. All of a sudden the mom on the end just goes, she was a surprise. And Whoa. just points at her daughter and I was like, Woof. it was incredible. It was incredible. What a moment for Easter Sunday church. Yeah, Man. savage this year. Dang, that is that is really going for She's it. She's probably an Auburn fan. That's all we got today. I shouldn't say that's all we got because that was a long pod. That was a really long pod. If you've listened to all of this, thank you. I assume everybody listens to the very end because they love fourth and wrong. Um, we have Facebook Live still Monday nights. Wednesday this week. Wednesday this week. So if you're listening to this, that's like to, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, you're coming home from work or whatever, that is tonight that you will have Facebook Live. Make sure that you are following us on Instagram so that you can yell at Marler and critique him about his graphics that he He'll throws grow up. out there. We <laughs> got sure to 50,000 new followers, though, since I, since I took over. Should have been once a good we, Once we get to 69,000 new followers, it's going to be a big, big day. Big be day. a very nice day. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the SDS Pod, at CMarlerSDS, at CJ O'Gara. Come yell at us about quarterback rankings, whatever you want. Thank you for listening. We will, I don't, I'm not sure what we're going to do next week in terms of if we're going to have interviews or stuff, but we'll, we're going to be recapping the draft and doing all that and talking about well, this. Well, I don't know if you and Adam are going to have your own podcast by then, so we'll just see, Connor. <laughs> Coach Guys, Joe, if you want to join in on social media um, with me and ridicule this this uh, draft, let me know. We'll do it together. Right. I have no doubt about that, but we'll definitely do that. Coach Joe, we got you. Yeah, I need to Talk to you next week. Whoop, whoop.